More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Tuesday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. We are joined now by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He has a brand new book that is out right now that I know many of you will be checking out. And uh, as we bring in the governor, what you find the writing of a book like compared to the other aspects of being a governor and a leader? What was the book writing process like for you? Well, it gave me the chance to kind of reflect on what Florida has done over the last four years and and what it's meant really for the country, because we've had so many people that have come to Florida to to visit, to escape some of the bad policies in other parts of the country, and even to uproot their families and and make Florida their home. And I think it's a, a great story because we see the federal government floundering. We see some of these big blue states floundering. And yet Florida is an example that, you know, uh, you can succeed. Yeah, you got to stand in there. You got to fight against a lot of uh, entrenched interests. But you can beat the left wing elites and you can deliver real results for the people that you represent. And not only that, but they will respond in record fashion uh, by giving you a big victory because I got elected with 32,000 votes in 2018. Come November of 2022, after four years of successes, we won by 1.5 million votes. Hey, Governor, it's Buck. You know, I know the book is The Courage to Be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. I know I want to we want to ask you about that blueprint here, of course. But but first, you mentioned this about how people will respond to good policies. Can, can you just update as the governor? You you certainly know the latest Update everybody on what has happened in Florida by the numbers, people moving there, the crime rate, the economy. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about the success story. Tell everybody what that has meant. Sure. So our crime rates at a 50-year low. We're the nation's fastest-growing state. We've led the nation in net in-migration uh, every year that I've been governor. We're number one in economic freedom and education freedom. We have one of the lowest per capita state tax burdens in America, one of the lowest per capita state debt burdens in America, and we have the largest budget surplus in the history of the state of Florida. 
When I was elected four years ago, uh, there were close to 300,000 more registered Democrats in the state of Florida than Republicans, and we've never had more registered Republicans than Democrats in Florida history. Today, uh, we've got 420,000 more registered Republicans than Democrats, and so I think it's, uh, it shows that the success has driven good political results. I think we've had people move who've been drawn to the Florida model, and I think that they were more likely to, to uh, agree with me. But I do think we've got a lot of people in Florida who may have voted the other way in the past who we've been able to convert over our side because they've seen that we've been right on these issues. We're talking to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, specifically speaking to that, you started coming on with me on my sports radio show uh, to argue that kids needed to be in school, that Florida was going to open up. And not only are you going to open up, kids are going to be able to play high school football um, in 2020. There's a lot of people out there listening to us right now who kids didn't get to go to school in person. They had to wear masks, something that you fought against. They weren't able to play sports. They lost a huge part of their educational opportunity because they had failed leadership. A state like California is a good example of that. What do we need to see? Uh, I'm sure you saw the Department of Energy now says, oh, this leaked from COVID did a Wuhan lab. Everything that people like you and me and Buck have been arguing for years is basically being proven true. What should happen? What should a reckoning look like given the state of Florida, your leadership, you got everything right, and yet it seems like most Democrats still don't want to acknowledge all that they got wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you and I would talk about the sports, we were like some of the only people in the country saying these kids need to be playing sports. I mean, I yep. was roundly criticized and attacked because we said we, we had uh, U UFC, the first live sporting event after COVID was Florida in May of 2020 in Jacksonville. And we got killed yep. by the press for doing that. Uh, and then we had the golf and we had the youth sports all summer and everything. And you know, look, if, if you, a parent didn't want their kid playing because of COVID, I don't think that's the right decision, but fine. We weren't forcing anyone to play, but we had to allow that. And I'll tell you, you remember when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceled yes. the season yeah. in the summer of 2020. The SEC was moving in that direction. And I was working behind the scenes and I said, the University of Florida is not going to be party to canceling the college football season. And so we got Florida right, and we made sure the RACC schools were in line, and they wanted to be Florida State and Miami. And so when the SEC and the ACC said, no, 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 we're playing, and then they start doing it, that put huge pressure on the Big Ten uh, to, to reverse, and they had to. And it was really embarrassing uh, what ended up happening with them. Same thing with our high school season. They were very close because ours, ours is run by a private association. It's not run by our Department of Education. This private association was very close to canceling fall sports. So we had to spend a lot of capital to make sure that, that we saved the season, um, and we did. And now people look back. And it's like, oh, of course that was the right thing to do. But at the time, we were in the very, very small minority. Every single expert criticized us. When we had our high school athletic association determine this, they have a, a, a medical committee. Every single doctor was saying that this was going to be damaging for kids to have them play sports and to allow them to play sports. And they were all wrong. So I think when you're talking about what needs to be done, I mean, the, the, the high levels of the bureaucracy just need to be flushed out. I mean, these are failed agencies when you talk about things like the CDC and the FDA um, and also some of the people in these medical societies that uh, really pursued politics 
and ideology rather than following the data. And look, I don't know if it's just some people will never admit that they were wrong because they, they think that that's bad for them. But like for you to say certain things in March of 2020 when we didn't have all the data in, you know, you can kind of understand and give someone a mulligan. But once the data's in and you continue to keep your head in the sand and advocate for destructive policies, you should not be in a position of leadership ever again. Speaking to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, his book is out today, The Courage to be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. Governor, take us through the blueprint, because obviously you're the governor of Florida and you've had tremendous success there and you've had so many people that have moved. I think voting with their feet is the single most clear and most uh, important way that they can show how they feel about your governance and what's going on in the state of Florida How does this translate, though, to other states? How is this a blueprint for other places across the country to have the same kind of economic boom, but just also increases in in freedom and prosperity and a sense of forward momentum? Well, I think there's 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 three things. One is, you know, you got to be grounded in the right principles. And I think everything we've done in Florida grows out of the basic foundations that have made America what it is today that the founding fathers talked about that are reflected in our Constitution. And that in and of itself is much different than what you would see in a state like California, where they where they go a much different way. Uh, second, uh, you have to recognize if you want a free state right now in this day and age, it's not just protecting people from government overreach. Of course you have to do that. But we have a lot of power exercised by non-governmental agencies or organizations, corporate America, big tech. You also have wokeness in the federal bureaucracy and in universities. And so people, I think part of freedom is being free from having the left impose its agenda on you. But that means you've got to fight across all those different uh, terrain, and we've done that here in Florida. And then finally, when you're doing that, I mean, we call it the courage to be free because leadership has a cost. And particularly if you're standing for the things that Florida has stood, just know the left's not just going to lie down and let you let you do it. They're going to fight because you're fighting on their turf. Uh, you show a different example for the rest of the country, the unfavorable comparisons between these blue states and Florida. You know, that calls into question their whole worldview. So they're going to attack you. They're going to smear you. They're going to distort. They're going to do whatever they can. Uh, and you got to be willing to take that fire, stand strong, and fight back. I, I loved it. I was down in Florida for July 4th, and Gavin Newsom is running ads on Fox News as I'm sitting on my couch down there in my, my Florida place, which thankfully uh, I'm happy to have you as a governor down there. Um, and he's lost 800,000 population in California uh, in terms of net migrations out. Uh, you have gained 700,000, which is, uh, sorry, he's lost 700,000. You guys have gained 800,000, which is pretty crazy. And I believe the report is, we wrote about this at OutKick, Gavin Newsom's own in-laws relocated from California to Florida and donated to you. Now, that is amazing. But as Buck has said, isn't voting with your feet between California and Florida a perfect approximation? I would say you guys as current governors handled COVID about as different as two governors could. And overwhelmingly, Americans have voted with their own residency in your favor. Isn't that like signed, sealed, and delivered in the argument? 
Yeah, especially when you consider, I mean, think about it. We had a lot of people flee from New York, right? But we've always had people move from New York. Uh, you know, you live a, a life in New York, you retire, you go to Boca. Doesn't mean you hate New York necessarily. Now, recently there's been a lot of people that have been dissatisfied, granted. But to go from California and to go 3,000 miles across the continent to come to Florida, you know, that is a huge, huge thing. And I grew up in Florida, and I never saw a California license plate in my life until uh, growing up. And then until I became governor, you started to see them. And I'll tell you, a lot of Florida voters freaked out because they were thinking these are a lot of liberal California voters. But it turns out these are people that were disaffected by what was going on out there, and they would pick up and move. That is a very powerful statement to move your family across the continent. And as you guys know, I mean, like if you're in, um, if you move from New York, uh, you can hop on a plane from Palm Beach back up to, to, to JFK. It's a two and a half hour flight, see your family, whatever. But it's a big deal going across the country. And the fact that people were willing to do that. And oh, by the way, we're proud of being the sunshine state. California's got pretty doggone good weather too. So it isn't like they're leaving the cold of Minnesota to move to Naples. They're leaving a state that was the ideal for the American dream for most of our lifetimes and even probably yep. before that. And now is a state that's hemorrhaging people at record numbers. And while Florida is enjoying its biggest ever budget surplus, California is facing close to a $30 billion budget deficit. Governor DeSantis is with us now. The Courage to be Free is the book. You know, you have the blueprint, Governor. What states are already starting to implement what you would say is the, the pathway to, to prosperity and freedom in the American revival. I mean, where else are you seeing uh, governors doing things that you say, that makes sense to me, that's the right move? Well, I think if you look, uh, uh, people focused on our red wave in Florida, and it was it was legitimate, but there was a red wave in Iowa under Governor Kim Reynolds. Uh, and if you look at what Kim's done on education, fighting back against COVID uh, authoritarianism, what she's done to keep Iowa safe with law and order, she's done a lot of the stuff you know, that we've done in the state of Florida. And what I tell her is when the people from the Midwest come down, uh, mostly to southwest Florida, you run into them. You know, the people from Illinois are really bitter about what's going on in Illinois. The people in Michigan were very bitter, particularly during COVID. People from Iowa, you know, they're happy to be in Florida, but they like Iowa. They like, and they're just, they're just much more uh, happy with what's going on back home. I think that's a testament to her. I think you look at other states that have gained population, like Georgia. You know, Governor Kemp uh, opened up Georgia. He was being attacked by Fauci and even people at the White House and was willing to stand his ground on that. And I thought that that was a huge, huge thing, and I thought that that benefited Georgia tremendously. Clay, you know, Tennessee is booming. I mean, you know, you have people, when I was in Nashville during COVID, the energy felt similar to what you see in Florida, where all these people are coming. Uh, I don't know if they're, uh, how they're voting. Hopefully they're voting the right way. But clearly, you know, it's drawing a lot of people who are looking for greener pastures. So I think there's a lot of success stories. And I think that um, it's great to have a healthy competition uh, with all these different states. And really, it's just been a competition to see, you know, who's going to receive more people from the failed woke states you're right about tennessee last question for you it's the number one question everybody in our audience has are you going to run for president in 2024 and what is the time frame to make that decision well as i told people i have a legislative session coming up we have super majorities now and i'm going to be able to deliver a huge agenda for florida 
And so that's going to be my focus. I am talking about the book partially because I, I'm proud of what we've done in Florida. So I've got the next probably three months where I'm going to be focusing on that. And then we'll get on the other side of that. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll come on your, your show if I, have, uh, if I have an announcement to make. I think that would be an excellent idea, Governor, just throwing that out there. Yeah, and uh, and we would certainly welcome that opportunity, and uh, we appreciate the time. Good luck. Hey, I hope the New York Times will allow you to open number one overall. You know, they have that rigged uh, bestseller list that they don't typically allow a lot of conservatives, so good luck on the rankings. Yeah, you know, but I think I win either way because if they blackball me and I clearly have sold the most on that, we'll get a lot, a lot of positive uh, feedback on that, too. Well, this audience is going to mobilize the courage to be free. Florida's blueprint for America's revival. Get a copy. Governor Ron DeSantis. Thank you so much, sir. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. You know all about how woke activists seize control of America's schools. Now a group of investment firms that Americans in and retirements are playing woke politics with your money without our knowledge or consent. A few large investment firms, names you know, that control trillions of dollars of your money are using those dollars to advance their woke ideology through a progressive social scoring program called ESG. They claim it promotes corporate responsibility, but what they're really doing is using Americans' hard-earned money to finance their left-wing political agenda, forcing businesses to comply or else. Some state leaders are fighting back and more are joining, letting those investment firms know they can't play those left-wing politics with our pensions. They can either do their jobs, maximize returns for shareholders, or get lost. To learn more, go to consumersresearch.org. They've been defending consumers against fraud and abuse for decades, and they still are on the front lines. Go to consumersresearch.org to learn more about their mission to protect consumers from woke investment firms. That's consumersresearch.org. Making sense in an insane world. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, 
and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we just had Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida on, and, and I can say that every person that I know who has left a blue state for Florida, and I know a lot of them, is very happy with that decision. Every person that I know who has left a blue state for Texas and Tennessee, I would say the same about uh, those are the big three. I know there are some others. You get South Carolina, get some uh, refugees from the Northeast, from you know Massachusetts and New York, and and obviously Californians have been not only moving to Texas but uh, also Nevada and uh, and Arizona. Um, but Clay, I've never, I can't remember a person who was getting so much attention as a possible presidential nominee who had not actually put his hat in the ring to run for president before. Well, he said maybe in three months, and that has been the discussion, has been the Florida legislature hangs it up in May, uh, I think near the end of May. And that would suggest that DeSantis would officially enter the race sometime in June. Maybe they do a big July 4th announcement and tie it all in together. Uh, If that is to occur, which it seems very likely that it will, that would put you only six months out from when the votes would start being cast in Iowa. And I know we got a lot of people listening in Iowa and New Hampshire and in uh, and in South Carolina. We'd be on a dead sprint, basically. That's a relatively short window to decide who's going to win those races. I can tell you all, too. I know this sounds like, come on, Buck, but it's true. From when I saw DeSantis the last time to the time before that, there was about a, uh, a six-month gap when I saw him in person. He's lost about 20 to 25 pounds, folks. He's a dad of three. He's lost 20 pounds. I think there's a reason. I think he's decided that it's go time. Mike Lindell and his team at MyPillow have introduced their 2.0 version of the product that started off for them nearly 20 years ago. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, but now includes brand new exclusive fabric that's made with temperature regulating thread. You're going to find this MyPillow 2.0 to be the softest, smoothest, coolest pillow you've ever owned. I've got mine right here at home and I love them. The MyPillow 2.0 comes at a great deal right now. Buy one, get one free. That's right. Buy one, get one free for a limited time when you use promo code Clay and Buck. All you have to do is go to MyPillow.com, click on Radio Listener Specials, and you'll get buy one, get one free in the MyPillow 2.0. This is the pillow you need. Make sure you use promo code Clay and Buck or just call this number 800-792-3269. That's 800 800- 792-3269. Get your MyPillow 2.0. Welcome back in. Clay Travis Buck Sexton Show. I teased off the top of the show. If you missed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, you can go subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you hear that whole interview at the top of this hour if you're just getting in your car. Um, I teased off the top of the show that something unbelievable had happened. Uh, there was such a ridiculous situation that Whoopi Goldberg and I the view stalwart will be Goldberg and I have ended up on the same side of an issue. And it has to do with all of this ridiculous censorship of 
books, rewriting, basically, for those of you out there who missed this story, is going on what seems to be quite commonly. I would just like to drop this thought out there for millions of people across the country. I think Whoopi needs to invite you on The View, Clay. I think it needs to happen. I'll be in the audience. I'll be cheering you on. Be great TV. I think they still require their audience to wear masks. Um, But I would love to go on The View as a guest. I think I would be incredible theater. I would definitely get booed. It would be uh, it would be riveting. Uh, but they started with it. I pronounce his name Roald Dahl, who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, James and the Giant Peach. Probably a good chance that either you or your kids or grandkids have read these books over the last 40 or so years, 50 years, as they have been wildly popular for many children. And they decided to replace offensive and offensive is in quotation marks language throughout his children's books sometimes if a kid is fat they're now referred to as enormous uh would be an example even the books that some of these kids are reading i'd rather be called fat than enormous you know enormous is like super fat to be fair i yes and and roly-poly is condescending no one wants to be called roly-poly also, like Augustus Gloop, I think was that German kid's name, if I remember correctly. His weight is a big part of what happens to him, spoiler alert, as he goes through the chocolate factory. This is why he's like, Mommy, I need the chocolate river, all of it in my mouth at one time, or else, oh no, I fell in the chocolate river and I float because of my buoyancy. Yes, this is a very good accent. A fat kid is unable, as you might expect to restrain himself inside of a chocolate factory. A bit of a bull with a uh, with a towel kind of uh, situation. He's being taunted. What is your what is your weakness? Like what is your you're, I, you know, I don't you don't smoke. I don't think you drink. But like what is your I bring it up just cuz like I think I might have an addiction to chocolate, which my wife could now confirm. Oh, really? That you're, that you think chocolate. would be like yeah. um I I it's a fantastic question. Probably that I am uh I'm overconfident. Like I, I just think that I can do things that I can't. You know, like and then I just meant I meant more like food and substances. But okay, that's cool. Too. Oh, that uh, you're going. Yeah. I, I thought you were going deep into the psychology there. Uh, no, I could no, eat, I meant I like, could eat chicken parm for every meal. I could eat. Okay, I, like like you could eat enough chicken eating. parm that you're disgusted at yourself afterwards with how much chicken parm you've eaten. I, it's hard for me to stop eating cobbler or pecan pie. Like I could. Mm. Just go to town on those. It's hard for me to put put an ending to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so back but, to the chubby German kid and Roll Roll Doll. Roll Doll, chubby German kid. They are changing the language in this kids' books, and we know this has already happened with Doctor Seuss, where they even took a step further and said, "Oh my goodness, there's a drawing, or there's a plot point, or there's a page where people are out there and they're saying these books can no longer be published." Well. They're now doing it to the James Bond books, which were written by Ian Fleming. I think, Buck, these books would have come out in the early 1960s. I think I am correct. The first ever James Bond book by Ian Fleming would have been written in like 1960, something like that. Does that sound right? Yeah, Ian Fleming is fascinating in that he uh, was a part of, I believe, British naval intelligence in the Second World War. So he was a guy writing really the greatest spy novel franchise of all time as somebody who had worked as it's interesting we're not supposed to call it, the spy is the person who works for the intelligence officer just so everyone knows so you don't usually refer to yourself as a spy if you are in the cia or mi6 the people that are bringing you the information are 
the spies. And another thing to always keep in mind, if anyone ever tells you they were a CIA agent, Clay, be very suspicious because anybody who's ever worked in the agency knows it is CIA officer. But Ian Fle- but I hate when they do TV and they call me a former CIA agent. I'm like, now it sounds like, you know, this was something I... I, uh, I made up to impress ladies at bars, which, by the way, let me tell you, they're not impressed. They're like, wait, you work for the government? How much money do you make? They'd much rather hear your professional sports player. Um, and I would also say uh, that Ian Fleming was uh, part of Operation Mincemeat, I believe, which if you, they actually made a movie of it, which was the landing of a, well, I should say the floating of a body with fake invasion plans off the coast of Spain. He was part of that. In real, it's pretty like in, cool. In, in actuality. Anyway, sorry, but I just think, I think Ian Fleming's a fascinating guy. Yeah, well, I wanted to get make sure I got this right. The first James Bond book was published in 1953, Casino Royale. Uh, it appears he published about 12 of them. Obviously, those then have turned into iconic movies uh, that uh, that continue to have a great deal of power to this day. But I read some of these books when I was a kid because I was a James Bond guy, and I was like, these are super cool and interesting and, you know, as you read a book that was written in the 1950s or the 1960s, anything by modern sensibilities is going to sound different. So they are now editing them based on race and sexism-related issues, racism and sexism-related issues. And, Buck, to her credit, Whoopi Goldberg on The View has come out and ripped this idea. Listen. Look, y'all got to stop this, okay? Just put a disclaimer on it that says, listen, this book was written at this time, you know? Or put out the original and what y'all have done. Because kids should have the right to read how people thought so that they know how to make the change. But, you know, they tried to do this with with Mark Twain as well because they were so concerned that the N-word was in the book. Well, that's how they did it. That's what it was. We don't want people doing it today, and you don't see it as much. That's how people learn. I I feel like uh, James Carville in old school when he's, like, on the debate stage and goes, that was perfect. I have no response. (laughs) She's totally right. She's totally right. Yeah. She nailed it. I mean, I think she even used the same example as I did on the show when we talked about Dahl's books being edited. Huckleberry Finn, you need to see the totality of that work. And here's what I would suggest. I mean, not, not that my books have any sign of great historical legacy or anything, but as an author, I find the idea that after I'm dead, somebody can go in and change the words that I published in my book to be awful. I, If I'm dead... I, it's a little bit more challenging if the existing author, you know, like um, some people got upset, Buck, with uh, George Lucas because he went back in and altered some of his Star Wars movies, right? Added different scenes, did different things that he wished he had included. And if the author, a creator is still alive, I, I'm a bit more, you know, open to the idea of, hey, this is my work and I've decided I want to revise it. I don't like it because I think the work should stand for itself because it's a representation of the time and era in which it was created. And if you come back 30 or 40 years later and alter it, I don't like that personally. But I'm at least open to the idea if the creator of the work decides that he or she wants to amend it in some way. But the idea that you change an author's works after he or she is dead is like it sh- you should be able to sign something that keeps that from ever occurring. Well, we can think about you know times in history and and modesty movements with regard to art and uh, you know, the fig leaves and making leaves and making sure that 
you know, we weren't showing any any exposed breasts or, you know, with statues or paintings. And you think about these these movement uh, movements of the past and you think, well, that that's an overreaction that that shouldn't be done. That's what they're doing right now. You know, we, yes. we look historically at points in time and they were saying, oh, we we need to cover up all those those Greco-Roman statues because of the ladies boobs. Clay, as yes. we know, we can always Nobody believe them more than me. We can always believe in and. We realize that that's so silly, and yet here we are, just with a slightly different framework, doing the, the same thing. I mean, as, as others have pointed out, I think it's an obvious point, so I'll make it as well. What happens to Shakespeare? I mean, yeah. honestly. Now, I think that the left, there are a lot of people on the left who, you know, Shakespeare's a little, little tough. They'd have to actually get in and understand some of the stuff. But they know that there's things in there that are politically incorrect, things in there that uh, would be considered problematic so are we going to start editing shakespeare i mean this this is where where does this end you know when the soviets did this kind of stuff when they were suppressing art and theater and literature we said oh how, how horrible it is and it was but somehow the left in this country which thinks of itself as the place for creativity and for the creative class they have become the little commissars yeah. they're all the now to her credit whoopi goldberg for example is standing up saying this is crazy and she's right. And she deserves she deserves the applause she got from the audience on that one. But so many on the left, Clay, I mean, she's not going to stop them. This is going to continue. I wonder, did it Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg uh, appear in The Color Purple? Wasn't that when, like a movie that she was in, based, the, 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 the novel? I'd have to check. We'll look it up in the break. Yeah, she was. And the reason why I bring that up is that novel was considered very controversial. I believe it was by Alice Walker. And... Whoopi, to her credit, may recognize that the idea there there are scenes in that novel that are very problematic, right? They're tough sometimes for teenage kids to read. That doesn't mean they shouldn't read it, right? And there's a difference. And we talked about this on the show, and I think it's an important one. There's also a difference between changing the language in a book and deciding what's appropriate for a kid to read, right? Um, and, and I think there's a big difference there, and oftentimes it gets uh, it gets ignored or or isn't recognized, and that's an important part of this distinction here. So many members of this audience have joined me in contributing to the most deserving of nonprofit organizations. The preborn network clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies over the past 17 years. They do that one unborn child at a time, welcoming pregnant women who are considering whether to choose abortion or bringing their child into this world. Preborn seeks these women out before they make the ultimate choice and introduces them to the life growing inside of them through a free ultrasound. Donations allow preborn's clinics to provide that ultrasound. One expectant mom, or once an expectant mom, hears that heartbeat, sees that precious life. Most of the time, she will choose life for her baby. $28 is what an ultrasound costs. $140 provides five ultrasounds. Let's save some lives together today, tomorrow, the next day, going forward as much as we can. Using your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say baby. That's pound 250 from your phone, say baby, or go to their website, preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K, sponsored by Preborn. 
Subscribe to CNB 24-7 and never miss a minute of Clay and Buck while getting behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to tell everybody that in the next hour, we're going to be talking about the mayoral race in Chicago. The Windy City, America's third largest. Named for a pungent plant found along the river. You know that, Clay? Chicago. No earthly idea. Yes. Chicago. It's, uh, that's the Algonquin word for an onion like plant that is quite smelly. That's where we get Chicago from. So. No earthly uh, idea. I'm, uh, throwing it out there like Alice Cooper in Wayne's World. When he explains Milwaukee, which I've been told does not actually mean what he says. He, anyway, it doesn't matter. But Chicago is true. You can check it out in the uh, in the Algonquin language. It refers to the plant. That's where you get the name of the city. It's amazing how history works like that. But Chicago's having some problems, irrespective of where the name comes from. And Mayor Lightfoot may no longer be mayor after this election. She faces some challenges. We'll break that down. Also, the Supreme Court, Mr. Clay Travis Esquire, heard some arguments this morning over hey can biden just be like hey man no more paying your student loans and stuff man not a joke uh turns out i don't think they're gonna let him do that 500 billion dollars can't just be waved away with a gesture of the hand but something that i think may get a lot of people fired up for a second here clay 
Uh, we we didn't we didn't preview this one before on the show, but I think everyone needs to uh, know that this is a debate that is raging. Should you have to, or should you feel obligated to give up your seat on an airplane so that people who are married or traveling together can sit together? Now, I understand there are several tiers that come into play here. Are we talking? Are we talking middle seat? For example, are you are you losing an aisle or a window for that middle seat? There is a Audrey Peters, a TikTok influencer, shared her dismay on TikTok and even being asked to move. Some other guy from Australia had a TikTok go viral for a guy in business class. All the seats were in business class and it was only four across. So no middle seats refused to move over one seat across the aisle. So this influencer could sit with his wife. I mean, Clay, what are what are the rules here? We don't want to live in a barbarous world. We want to live in a civilized world. Do you feel like you should always give up your seat as long as you are not downgrading the quality of your airline seat? Or are you kind of a troll under the bridge guy? Like, sorry, seats are seats. Rules are rules. I, I don't have any strong opinion on uh, the seat situation, except I'm not giving up my aisle. Right? So, like, I fly southwest. Um, Southwest doesn't have designed seats. So I always, or signed seats, I should say, I always go aisle. Um, so if somebody else were in an aisle seat and there was somebody in the middle seat and they wanted me to sit next to them, I would do that. I also, uh, in general, would try to move if there's a mom and a, a child, right? Like a young child or somebody, you'd try to make a kid be able to sit next to their parent. I would move for that. I don't, I don't get this obsession with, I have to be sitting next to my spouse on most flights, right? That's now, a I fair point. Are you with me there? Like, I mean, you're yeah. with them all the time. Like, it kind of seems very needy that you would have to, now, I understand if it's like a cross country flight, like at some point where you're five or six hours, you might fall asleep. You might want to sleep on somebody's shoulder, but for most domestic airline travel, I, I don't understand the obsession. I've been married for almost 20 years. I don't think my wife is like, oh, my God, I have to be sitting next to my husband on this hour and a half long flight. Kids, I totally understand. I think it's a bit uh, obsessive to have to sit next to your significant other on a relatively short distance flight. Now, since we've already entered the Thunderdome of airline etiquette, and people get very passionate about it. People oh, get yeah, very no mad doubt. at me for my stances on this. You know, I'm, for example, in favor of the banning of children under 12 from certain restaurants, et cetera. And I know some parents lose their minds on that. We talked about that last week. But reclining in I'm coach, anti-recline. Anti-recline. You're just, you're just not, it's not happening like, for you. I, I never do it uh, because I'm basically six feet tall. And I'm not even trying to claim to be like six five or six six, but... If someone reclines their seat in coach class, it is almost impossible impossible to like use your laptop in front of you or even have any space at all. And then it kind of is like when somebody stands up in a stadium, then you feel obligated to stand up. I think I feel like it starts the whole trend. So I wish seats did not recline. I'm an anti seat recline. I would I would prefer that that was not permitted on planes. I'm I'm with you on that because I've also I like to think that I'm a pretty pretty cool character not like cool but you know calm uh and when someone does the rapid recline in coach and it smacks my laptop when i have it out on the tray i get very angry i have to internalize that anger but i'm like 
I feel like you could have almost destroyed my laptop because you want to pretend that it's so much more comfortable to recline 25 degrees. You legitimately cannot work on a laptop in coach if someone reclines in front of you. You just can't. It doesn't, the math, I mean, like the physical nature of being able to do it is impossible. So I'm most Chicago's mayoral race is coming up next, folks. A deep dive on that and also Supreme Court arguments this morning. So you got to stick around with us. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.